Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's here. It's hot. And it's a must read. It's the science behind the Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in-depth how-tos from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts, authors, scientists, and medical professionals. Go to lawofattractionmagazine.net. That's lawofattractionmagazine.net. Remote viewing, nootropics. Miracles of mind, super learning, the physiology of trauma, PSI, morphogenic resonance, heart intelligence, theater of the mind podcast, accelerating the evolution of human consciousness, theater of the mind podcast, brought to you by brainsync.com, CDs and MP3 downloads for peak performance at brainsync.com, expand your knowledge of the body-mind connection and learn how to tap the other 90% of your unused potential. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Theater of the Mind, your host, Kelly Howell. Today, we are going to explore the divine feminine and how we can access the power of the goddesses for transformation, blessings, and guidance. The spiritual journey is a path of self-discovery. It calls us inward to examine our values, our beliefs, intentions, longings, and our purpose for being. And as with all paths, there are challenges and questions and obstacles to overcome. My guest today has devoted her life to helping others on their spiritual paths. Sally Kempton has studied and taught the wisdom of yoga for over 45 years. She is a highly regarded teacher of meditation and spiritual philosophy. Her teachings combine profound knowledge of the texts of yoga with practical wisdom from contemporary psychology. Her latest book, Awakening Shakti, The Transformative Power of the Goddesses of Yoga, is a mythic manual of the divine feminine. If you've ever wanted to learn how to embody and incorporate the power and wisdom of goddess energy into your meditations and into your life, this is the best book I've read on the subject. She provides visualizations, stories, imagery, meditations, and mantras that will take you deeper into the sacred feminine principle. It's a great book, everybody. you got to get it. Hi, Sally. Welcome, and thank you for writing such a beautiful book. Well, Kelly, it's a pleasure to talk with you. What inspired you to write this book now, at this time, and why goddesses and not the gods? We know there's a huge pantheon of yes, them. Yes, there are, and I'm considering writing a book on the divine masculine. Oh, good. A sort of companion book to this one. Uh, but I, I feel a little bit less qualified to write on the masculine divine than I do on the feminine divine, uh, which is a whole other conversation. 
Um, so the question of why goddesses and why now is, a, I think, a really important one. Because for many of us, I won't speak for you, but certainly in my path, which was undertaken in an Eastern tradition, an Eastern non-dual tradition, as you know, as it calls itself, and the understanding about spirit in that tradition is very much the understanding of a formless, qualityless uh, spirit, you know, a, a spiritual realm, let's call it a realm of, of essence that is somehow detached from your physical body, your senses, your personal conditioned life, your emotions, etc. And so the you know the traditional Eastern spiritual paths and actually the Western mystical paths as well are famous for you know what you could call the body mind split, right? In which you know, our personal self and the uh, the you know the the great self, the inner self, the deep self are somehow almost irreconcilable. And as you know, a lot goes along with that, including a, a kind of distaste for the body, uh, a feeling that sexuality and worldly life in all its forms are somehow less spiritual, than uh, less true than, um, than, than this very subtle realm. So... These this kind of path, which you know, which essentially asks us to ascend out of the physical realm into a subtler spirit realm, is incredibly valuable and deeply true. I'm not in any way dissing it, uh, but I, like many people, at a certain point in my practice, began to feel as though I had somehow become dissociated, not only from my emotional self, you know, not only from my feelings and sensations, uh, not only from my body, but actually from my femininity, from my, from, you know, these qualities in my personality, in my, in my being, in my embodiment, that I more and more began to realize were, A, feminine qualities, and though it's a little bit dangerous to, to say that, that qualities of embodiment are feminine as opposed to masculine because obviously all of us are a mixture. You know, there's, uh, there's enormous gender fluidity even among people who don't think of themselves as being gender fluid. But what I saw was that the path I was on privileged intellect and spirit over body and feeling. And I, at, at that point, I had a kind of simultaneous, I guess you would call it awakening, to the to a, a very personal experience that that came to me while I was actually telling a story in a uh, in a in a celebration, a story about one of the Hindu goddesses, and as I was telling the story, this feeling of enormous love and intensity and ecstasy and and power began to come through me, and I realized that that I was actually having a kind of epiphany of goddess. You, you know, that wonderful Greek word epiphany, it means that, that, that a divine form uh, reveals itself in our, in our, you know, actual earthly life. And it's a, it's a very transformative experience when it happens. You know, you, you're, I mean, it literally is true. Your hairs stand on end, tears come into your eyes. You know, you just, you have this feeling that, well, 
This was my experience in any case. Well, Sa- Sally, the transmission comes through your book because it's one of the few books where the concept of personalizing and embodying those energies and making it personal to you, it just comes through the entire book. That makes me very happy uh, because, you know, the, the, I mean, the entire project of having a personal relationship with a deity form is so suspect in the contemporary West you know, it's so hard to publicly admit that that you that you're you know that you're involved with the personal form of the divine, even if it's a even if it's a Western form like Jesus. You know, who of course many people have have a, a personal relationship with Jesus or God as they conceive him, usually him. Uh, but the idea of of actually choosing what in the Indian texts they call the the Ishta Devata or personal deity is very foreign to us. And I think many of us think of it as, uh, as you know, these days as kind of new agey or magical, you know, it's sort of a magical thinking practice. So even for me, having very powerful experiences of, of you know, what in Sanskrit is called darshan or the, the experience of sort of direct, a direct experience of goddess, took me a long time to think that it might be applicable to other people. So the, the way I wrote the book was that I, I had started to give classes on some of the popular Hindu goddesses, the goddess Lakshmi, the goddess Saraswati, the goddess Durga, and Kali. And every time I would give the class, I would have the same experience of you know, the hair standing up on my body, tears coming into my eyes, this feeling of overwhelming emotion. And at one point, I I realized that that there was some force that wanted to be known, and that for whatever reason, you know, my study, my the fact that I'm I'm very interested in spiritual life being practical, you know, that it actually being doable for actual human beings, that uh, that I uh, I should write it. So so I I wrote it. I I have to say I got very high while I was writing it. It was. Extremely enjoyable, <laughs> and, and, and you know, and, and as you say, a lot of there are a lot of meditations in it and practices for tuning into divine feminine energy. And I think the most important there's a few pieces that I just want to flag that that are in the book. That one is the idea that that goddess practice is a form of sacred feminism. In other words, it's it's not political feminism. It's not social feminism. It's it's sacred feminism, and what that means is that it's a way of tuning in to the foundational creative energy that is actually the source of the universe, and which has, you know, many people who have really tuned into this this field of energy. It has what we can only call a, a feminine quality to it, meaning that it's. It's uh, and by feminine here I mean playful, juicy, rhythmic. You know, it has the quality of flexibility. It has a sort of pulsing, uh, erotic quality. You know, to uh, it's you know it's it's a very very erotic quality that this universe has when you tune in, turn into the, tune into the feminine aspect of it. You know, the energy that makes plants grow and that that bursts forth in the spring and that 
you know, it, we experience as fertility, as as emotional intensity, as love, and you know, and as uh, as upheavals of various kinds. If you really tune into them, you you start to feel that they're all all of these expressions of life force, including our breath and our heartbeat, are really proceeding out of a single energetic source. And that source, the, the, the tantric traditions of India and also in Buddhism and, I, and, and in Taoism also, in many branches of Taoist thought, this, this energetic vortex, this energetic force is, is regarded as the sacred feminine, the great mother, you know, the, the great father being the, the vast silence, the, you know, the, the great void at, it, that's behind everything, that's kind of the ground of everything. The great mother being that energy that arises within the silence, within the stillness, and gives rise to the Big Bang, you know, and everything else. So the idea that that the creativity innate in the universe, you know, the, the intelligence in the cells and the, you know, the, that force that makes the green shoot flower, it's the same force as Dylan Thomas said in us. But that's feminine. Uh, that's that's the great mother, and it's a it's a very profound way of looking at the universe because it, it encourages you to see the physical world as sacred, to see your body as sacred, and to realize in some kind of deep way that that the universe is dancing with you, is making love to you, is you know, is is wanting to surprise you and interact with you in a very playful, uh, you know, sometimes almost girlish way, sometimes, um, you know, in a, in a strong and intense way. But, it, you know, the goddess practices open you up to an extremely intimate relationship with the rest of the physical world. So, and I call it sacred feminism because it, it's... It's really the feminism of the soul, and it applies as much to men as it does to women. Men, for ages, for eons, have talked about the muses. It's the feminine that they invoke before they write their music or their book. Those are the goddesses. Those are the goddesses. And, they're, and the interesting thing is, yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that, that, that men, the masculine, has known on a, you know, on a deep, heart cellular level forever that the source of inspiration and true power comes from the feminine and you know in a man who's really integrated such a person can you know a guy like that a woman like that can find that feminine source inwardly which is which is what goddess practice has always been about you know it's a lot of traditional goddess practice in india was 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 practiced by men and the the goal of it was to create a relationship with an external image of goddess and and then as you become more intimate with it take that image inside so that the powers and the you know the the qualities of that goddess are actually manifesting inside you and it's a it it's a practice that it's been a secret practice for men and men in those traditions and certainly for artists courting the muse um, but you're right, the muse is the goddess. And the beautiful thing about recognizing that creativity and power do not belong to you, they're not 
functions of the ego, they come from another source, from a deeper source, is that if you, if you really get that in a humble way, then your creations really come from that place rather than from you know, ego and insecurity and false pride and all those things that uh, create suffering in our creations for ourselves and others. And I do think that the more we can tune into, surrender our hearts to, really, uh, and, you know, invoke goddess energies for pretty much anything we do, the more we find that our lives are inspired and protected. And uh, here I would like to bring up the issue of the strong goddesses, you know, the, the, the fierce goddesses. In the, you know, in the Western traditions, we don't really have fierce, fierce, popular fierce goddesses. No, we don't. You're and, right. Yeah, right. And the image of the feminine is Mother Mary, um, you know, whom I love. I adore Mother Mary. But she's – and It's compassion and, and mercy and – Exactly. Love, and, yeah. Yeah, love and bearing with suffering, you know, mm-hmm. and martyrdom. Yeah. Martyrdom and, you know, telling people to be better but but uh in a very nice way. <laughs> or perhaps <laughs> a little little bit of motherly sternness. But in the Hindu pantheon there are some seriously kick ass goddesses. You know, there's the goddess Durga who's motherly, but she's also a warrior who, you know, has eighteen arms, many of which are holding weapons. Uh, the goddess Kali, you know, who who really represents the process of death and rebirth. The rebirth is much a part of it as the death, but the death is crucial to the rebirth in this in this tradition. So, I have found that for many women I know, especially young women, that that to begin to internalize the fierceness of the feminine through goddesses, and it you know it's a tricky thing because you don't really want your uh, your personal, let's call it neurotic anger, uh, sort of constellating itself and calling itself Kali or calling itself Durga. <laughs> you don't want you don't want the god the fierce goddesses to you know kind of get grabbed by your shadow. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, there is something tremendously empowering about realizing that that for a woman there there are models for strength, models for for even fierceness. That are feminine models, you know. They're not they're, so that, in other words, there is a way to to incarnate uh, powerful energies that are not simply, you know, traditionally soft and motherly and compassionate, but can be strongly compassionate, like uh, Kali. Well, like Kali, I, I especially like Durga. Kali Durga. is an extremely myst- mysterious goddess and kind of complicated to understand especially because she often looks really scary. <laughs> and sexy. And she is very sexy. She's very hot. <laughs> she is. She looks really hot. And, and I notice, as I say in the book, that there, there are a few contemporary singers in their 20s who really get this Kali thing, the, the sexiness of the Kali energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the Durga is, a, you know, is one of the most, she's in the yoga world, she's become an enormously popular archetype for, you know, for women yogis, yoginis. And it's because she, she is beautiful. You know, she's, she's clever. 
she's uh, and she's completely armed. <laughs> you know, nobody, yes. nobody can mess with her. Nobody can mess with her, and and exactly, exactly, and and if you incarnate that Durga quality, I've found it gives you an enormous firmness. You know, which is a quality that we usually think of as masculine, right? You know that it's men who stand firm and men who exhibit uh, assertive, you know, like assertive behavior. Uh, it, but there is a there is a feminine kind of assertion, which which I would say this is a kind of a subtle distinction. But there's a, a, a writer; she's a psychologist named uh, named Genya Polly Haddon, or Polly Genya Haddon. Uh, who who writes about the the connection between the 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 masculine masculine and feminine genitals and their 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 capacity for dynamism as well as um, quietude and passivity and one of the points she makes is that the, the the feminine womb is of course passive it's a container um, and the you know the penis is uh, is is an assertive Thrusting, penetrative force, and those are the, the those are the ways we normally think of the of the masculine and the feminine contrast. One is is outgoing and assertive, tends to thrust, whereas the other is you know is contained and creates space and is in, is a womb. One of the points she makes is that in the male, the testicles are actually a container for you know for life force. They're you know the they're a yin organ. Uh, and that in the in the woman in the feminine, there there's not only the clitoris, which is you know a kind of a thrusting organ, but there's the energy in the womb that expels the child at the moment of birth, which is an incredibly powerful energy that comes up from within the womb, and you know and literally pushes the child out. It's not the child who pushes himself or herself out. It's the it's the womb energy which is Kali. Mm. So. One of the very interesting ways to feminine, natural feminine power, as opposed to natural masculine power, is that in the feminine, that power really does arise from very deep inside. You know, it's, it comes as an impulse, an inner impulse that's, that's deeper than the mind, deeper than the emotions. We could say for, you know, for, for the sake of metaphor that it comes from the womb, um, but it's... It's it is it has no it has no um, uh, it, it's it's free of ideas and impressions. It's it's the it's the, the the sense of this action is correct and inevitable and is the the action of the universe to bring forth new life. Uh, and and that you know so that's I think what feminine power is when you really tune into it. Whereas masculine power, you know, is it, it, it just as the penis is on the outside of the body, you know, it, it masculine power can come across, can be um, can be accessed through making a decision, you know, through uh, through somewhat more superficial means, somewhat more more uh, normally accessible means. Whereas feminine power really really demands that you turn inside and find it. Durga, I'm looking at this chapter in your book, and you have a section in here um, invoking Durga as the protectress. Yes. 
Could you speak to that a little? Yeah. The, so the myth of Durga, which is, again, it's a, it's a classic myth about the great mother. The myth of Durga is that she's, she's very hidden. She lives in the mountains. And she's not accessible during normal times. But when things are really hard, when, you know, in the, in the myths, the, the, the stories always start with a demon taking over the world and, and the demon has pr- received a boon that, that he can't be defeated by humans or gods. Um, and he neglects to say anything about goddesses or women because he doesn't take goddesses or women seriously as his opponents. So when, the, when the, they finally figure out that he can, he can be defeated by a woman, they go to the goddess and the goddess Durga and they praise her and they, you know, they beg her to help them. And she, she takes a form for the protection of the world. That's the reason she comes into form. So, and she rides up, she rides forth on her lion and the myth unfolds from there with her and, and her The beautiful thing about Durga as a goddess, as a figure, as a protective figure is that at a certain point in her battle, she she gives rise to all these other goddess forms, who are, most of whom are the popular goddesses of Hindu mythology, and they they all sort of fan out and and in in their own characteristic fashion um, defeat the demon armies and then then are drawn back into into Durga's body, and the the thing about about this goddess is that she is completely invincible. That is. No one can defeat her, but she only uses her strength in times of greatest need, and she only uses her strength to protect the world, which is, you know, in a certain sense, the the quality of of mother is that the strength is is there for the for the protection of what matters, of what is of value, particularly her children, mm-hmm. you know. But but really, for the for the for everything in life that that makes life valuable and sweet, so. So she's willing to do what's necessary to protect, but she doesn't go one step beyond that. And the interesting thing is that when the gods, the gods see her power and she's mighty, you know, she's, she really is the invincible, you know, the great invincible hurricane that, that, that knocks everything out of its path. She's, she cannot, she's unstoppable. And after the battle is over and the gods are thanking her, they say, uh, Okay, please go back to your mountain. <laughs> Don't come until we need you. <laughs> she's, uh, her power is so intense. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like when that power that we all have within us, all of us, men and women, you know, the, the power of essence, the power of, of the life force, when it is unleashed, it is, it is the greatest power in the world. And again, it's not just a woman's power. It belongs it belongs to all beings because it's it's the energy at the heart of of of, the, of it's the energy in the heart of the atom, really. Um, you know, which we've harnessed for destructive purposes, but also for for um, for helpful purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sally, I want to go through every goddess with you, but I know that would be we would have a whole seminar to do. <laughs> But I wanted to ask you now, you have beautiful meditations in your book. Have you recorded them? Do you have an audio program? 
Yes, there's an audio program which is also published by Sounds True. It's a companion to the book. It's oh, called Shakti, Shakti Meditations. And uh, a lot of people, you know, no one has time to read books these days. <laughs> so a lot of people are introduced to these these goddesses through the CD. And there's a little explanation for each of them uh, and, uh, and a, you know, a, a long meditation. And um, the goddesses who are in the book are... Uh, Durga, Kali, Lakshmi, who's the goddess of abundance, um, Parvati, who is a wonderful goddess for contemporary women because she's she's a yogini, uh, she's an independent woman, but she's also a consort. You know, she's the wife of Shiva, who's a uh, who's a very um, hard to manage masculine deity. So, in a certain sense, for a lot of women I know, the Parvati Shiva marriage is a is kind of a model for a romantic uh, marriage between partners, between equal partners. Saraswati, who is goddess of music, language, scholarship, insight, divine sound, who's, again, a very powerful muse for many people. Uh, Sita, who's, you know, who's a soft goddess, uh, a mystical, devoted, devotional goddess. Dumavati, who's the crone, um, whom an amazing number of people and not only older women, but younger women identify with, because she's really the energy that comes to us when we have to let go of something or when we're disappointed. And when we invoke this goddess at during times like that, then she shows us the, uh, the light that's behind disappointment. Um, Radha, who's a lover goddess. And my favorite, uh, who's Lalita Tripura Sundari, who's, Who's, who's really one of the strong goddesses, but also extremely beautiful and sexy. She's the goddess of, of let's call it, um, erotic and subtle blissfulness. So she's, she's a goddess of the higher chakras. She's, um, she's, she's the goddess of the risen Kundalini, and she's also a consort, a wife of Shiva. Uh, very, very, very beautiful, strong, and I feel... Uh, a goddess who who is emergent for women. I know very few women who really embody that quality of strength and and sexiness. You know, mm. in a clear way, Lalita mm. really is a model of that. And then Bhuvaneshwari, who's goddess of she's she's the form of the great mother who holds the world in her embrace. And uh, in my in my uh, my group of friends and students. She is everybody's favorite goddess because you know she's like she is really the the, the great soft mother who who uh, expands spaciously around you and whom you can give your sorrows to and she'll hold them and yet she's she's also beautiful and queenly and uh, uh, mischievous. So those are the goddesses that that I work with in the book. And, and Sally, there are so many, and I hope a lot of people listening are going to get the book and the meditations. How do you recommend that people work? You 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 have all these practical uh, meditations and mantras and everything. Do you suggest that people just go to the goddess that they're drawn to and work with that energy for a month or a week or, or jump around? What exactly. is your... <laughs> well, well, if you if you actually you know th this is a book that that quite a few 
women I know, and actually some men, are using in book groups and in study groups because it really lends itself very well to reading, to you know, to a, having a group read it and then practice together. Oh, what a great idea! And and there's a re, you know, there's a reader's guide thing in the end, and a lot of exercises, questions you can ask yourself, uh, especially for finding out which goddess, which of the goddesses really you feel connected to. But the way I recommend reading it, it's is not. I mean, if you if you like to read books straight through, of course you can read it straight through and then come back to particular goddesses who draw you. But my suggestion is that you read that you read the introduction, which is talks about the whole practice of deity yoga, and then start with the first chapter, which is uh, which is on Durga, and read it, do the exercises, and stay with her for a couple of weeks. You know, traditionally. 40 days is the time it takes to imbibe a new practice. Very few people have that much time that they're willing to devote to, to a sustained practice. So I would say 21 days is enough to get a sense of her. And then when you feel ready, just go on to the next chapter, which is on Lakshmi, the goddess of abundance and good fortune, who's you know really a, a deservedly popular because she's, she's so luscious. Um, and so, you know, so boon bestowing. Um, and then, and just go through it at your own pace, at your own leisure. But give yourself time to be with each of the goddesses because these are archetypes that every one of us holds inside. And for for some of us, you know, so for some of us it's very obvious we're connected to one particular goddess. Uh, almost everyone I know is really interested in getting to know the goddess Lakshmi, you know, who in India is is worshipped as by people who uh, who want their world, their lives to go well, you know. Who, um, but and you know, so she's she's an enormously helpful uh, archetype to have around you and to be able to invoke. Plus, she's exquisite, you know. You she's she really is a, a, a love goddess, and a, you know, she the quality of luxury is a kind of undulating golden feeling of contentment and you know, fertile imagination and beauty. So a lot of people are drawn to her or to Saraswati, who's, you know, the goddess of, the goddess for singers and speakers and uh, people like yourself, communicators. But these other goddesses, the more mysterious ones, the, you know, the, the strong ones, the, the ones who you wouldn't necessarily feel connected to, once you get to know them, you realize... First of all, they're profound resources for us as as helpers in the subtle realms, but also that you have you have all these goddesses inside you, and part of what the book does is is help you look at those aspects of your human personality which which have a connection to these these divine feminine archetypes. And I would say this is very, just as true for men as it is for women, even though. Oh, a lot of men I know are calling themselves feminists. Now, yeah. anyway, I mean, it's yeah. people are aware. Sally, you have so many courses, and yeah. do you have one on the goddesses yet? I, I do. I have a couple on the goddesses. Uh, one is called Dancing with the Divine Feminine. Another is called um, Energies of Transformation. It's about a group of goddesses who are implicated in in our spiritual journey, very specifically. And uh, yes, you can find them on my website, and my website is sallykempton.com. 
and there are a lot of resources on that, CDs and articles and uh, and the the uh, the place where you can download some of my courses. Um, and I'm I I'm uh, I teach you know around the country at conferences and but especially on teleconferences. So if you're interested in going deeper into any of this material, I would suggest getting on my mailing list, and, which is uh, which will not inundate you with emails. I want to assure you, okay. <laughs> uh, and then you'll get um, bulletins about some of these some of the upcoming goddess courses. Great, Sally. Thank you. Okay, we have a little treat. We are going to do a meditation to invoke Lakshmi, the goddess of abundance and good fortune. If you're in a car or somewhere where it's inappropriate for you to meditate, save this for later. Okay? So you can close your eyes and just let the breath flow. Not trying to breathe in a particular way, but but really being attentive to the flow of the breath, perhaps feeling it, the, the inhalation touching the nostrils, and then feel how when the exhalation flows out, there's a kind of a warmth in it, and just feel that rhythm of the breath, which is in fact the rhythm of the life force, which in goddess traditions we call goddess, that we call shakti, we call the life force, which breathes you. And imagine yourself now sitting in a very beautiful garden It's peaceful, it's filled with flowering trees, the lawns are green, it's, you know, it's summer in Hawaii, in one of the, you know, in a beautiful tropical island in which, in which the beach is, the beaches are filled with sparkly sand, and, and as you look, you see that the, the sand on the beach is made of jewels. This whole place is a light realm with delicate tropical breezes and extraordinary flowers and fragrance. And you see that the beach, the very narrow jewel-sanded beach, leads down to a tropical ocean. The water is aquamarine, as in the Caribbean or in Lanikai and the island of Oahu. And you're mesmerized by this sense of the water and the wind, the breeze, the natural world around you. And then you see, moving towards you over the surface of the ocean, a figure comes closer and closer. And you realize as she comes through the waves onto the shore that you're looking at the golden-skinned form of the goddess Lakshmi, who is a slender, dark-haired, almond-eyed beauty 
with skin that is literally gold. It's the color of saffron or the color of rose gold. She's bare-breasted. She's wearing a rose pink robe made out of undulating silk that scintillates and shimmers. And as she comes towards you, she very gracefully takes a seat in front of you. And you allow yourself to feel the presence, the shimmering presence of this form of goddess. Whose every breath, whose every cell radiates the feeling of beauty and love and harmony and the feeling of infinite possibility. And as you allow yourself to be more and more present with her, you find yourself looking into her eyes, which are large and lustrous. And you see in her eyes the invitation to ask her for a gift. And you find yourself turning into yourself, into your heart, and recognizing which gift, which attribute your heart wants to ask for as a boon from the goddess, something that will deeply enhance the love in your life, the sweetness in your life, something that may be material or relational or maybe a quality like greater love or friendliness or the ability to see life's perfection. You just tune into what that might be without thinking too much about it. And recognize that nothing needs to be said. That the goddess hears your request. And then you realize that from her heart, from the region of her chest, a soft rosy red light is emanating. And you allow yourself to open your own heart to receive it. You might want to cup your hands and hold them in front of your heart. But as you inhale, you realize that you are inhaling this rosy light from the heart of the goddess Lakshmi. And you realize that this light is imbued with the qualities of pure abundance and satisfaction, qualities of contentment, quality of love, of every possible form of love quality of wisdom, the power to understand what is really important to you. And that all these abilities and attributes and gifts, including the one that you asked for, 
of flowing in with your inhalation. And with your exhalation, the light and its gifts of abundance are being diffused through your body. Just allow yourself to breathe in, receive Lakshmi's gifts. Open your eyes and notice that in this exchange you've begun to feel more intimate, more open to this very sacred form of the Divine Feminine. And with your next inhalation, see if you can feel this form of Lakshmi opening up, becoming what it essentially is, that is rays of golden pink light, and that your inhalation actually draws the goddess into your body through the heart. So that her form, her light, is itself diffused through your whole body. And you can feel that the goddess Lakshmi is taking up residence inside your subtle body. And you can bring your hands together in prayer position and just in your own way, in your own heart, say thank you. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Thank you, Sally. That was beautiful. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Yeah, it's just just great. I hope you can come back and do another goddess with us. We can do many goddesses. Oh, let's do all the goddesses. Yes. Once again, we've been speaking with Sally Kempton and her new book, Awakening Shakti, The Transformative Power of the Goddesses of Yoga. Please go to her website, check out all of her classes. It's sallykempton.com. And uh, she's got some audio meditations that are available on Sounds True. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, be well. You have been listening to Theater of the Mind podcast, accelerating the evolution of human consciousness. Visit Theater of the Mind online at www.kellyhowell.com. Leave comments, questions, and feedback and join the conversation about consciousness. We want to know what you're thinking. Theater of the Mind podcast is brought to you by Brainsync.com. CDs and MP3 downloads for peak performance. Find them at www.brainsync.com.
You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network, heard by millions worldwide through 38 internet radio stations and in over 135 countries. Be sure to sign up for your monthly updates and get all the latest information on LOA radio events such as cruises, workshops, and seminars, as well as information on the latest shows, topics, and guests. Go to LOARadioNetwork.com and sign up today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.